Good morning, um, um, Daniel Button. It's so good to be with you at this point in time in our worship. Um, this morning we continue to worship the Lord, and just a few weeks uh, we went through looking at what do we do in worship. And from next Sunday we are going to start a sermon series on the Lent, and we will end with Easter Sunday. But today, I just want to take us to a place where, where we can say that um, when we worship the Lord, we want our hearts to also be changed into what God wants us to be. That is, lovers. He wants us to make us lovers of God as lovers of one another. So, if you think of worship today, if you think of the goal of worship, I think God would like all of us to love one another. And as we leave this place... There is nothing better than to say to your family, to your friends, to the people in your community at Hillside, people love the Lord, and when they love Jesus, they love one another. There is no better reputation than to have, to have that reputation as a church. And if you think about this question, just think about, you know, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I've been to many funerals, and I heard testimonies and stories and some of those stories were so amazing, and I said, you know, to myself, wow, if just a little bit of those things can be said about me. And I was thinking, would there be anybody that will say such nice things about me at my funeral? You know, John DeJagger just shared that Elaine shared the gospel with, with an atheist, and she came to Christ. And the relationship continues. And how beautiful it is. We know what, what at funeral of, of John will, or Elaine people will say, right? John traveled the world because he believed in educated kids in Christian schools. And that's what he did. So this morning I want us to, uh, to think about it. You know, what would you like people to say? And more importantly, what would you like Jesus to say to you in the final day? There is going to be one final day when you and me are going to face Jesus face to face. And individually, we are going to see him and he is going to have a message for everyone. What would you like Jesus to tell you? Of course, we would like to say good work, faithful, good and faithful servant. Welcome, come into the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. That's what we would like all of us to say. But how do we get there? How do we get to the place where Jesus will look at us and say, Good work. Good work, Johnny. Good work, Mary. You were a good and faithful servant. Come and inherit the kingdom. You see, is 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 this place in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, where at the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus takes his disciples, and they were in the temple. If you look in this painting, the temple is in the far way, and they are sitting on the Mount of Olives. They were in the temple, and Jesus, with the disciples, left the temple. He points back to the temple and, and, and says to them, do you see all of these beautiful things, these stones? One day, this will be destroyed. There will be no stone left on top of one another. Everything will be ruined. And then they go to the Mount of Olives, and he sits on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come around him and kind of quietly reply with it. They say, Lord, can you tell us more about those things? When is the end going to come? 
What is the context? And if you think of the context of this story, basically it comes in the last week of Jesus' life on Tuesday. And Jesus connects, as he explains to them, he connects two events. The first one is the destruction of Jerusalem. That's what he says. There's going to be a destruction of the temple. There will be no more temple. And the second one is, I'm going to come back. And sometimes when you look at events in the Bible, you think that you look at a a, a timeline like this, and you see this and that. The destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming. But what if you look at it this way? You know, it's like looking at two mountain peaks, you know. You don't know how much the distance is between these two events unless you look like this way, right? And that's what in chapter 24, the context is about two events. And it's very hard in chapter 24 to figure when is he talking about the destruction of the temple or his second coming. But the disciples definitely want to know more about these end times. And Jesus says there will be some signs. Look, we are going to find out some signs. There will be false prophets. Many will raise up and tell you stories. And they will deceive. Many will be deceived. And then there will be wars and rumors of wars. All sorts of news. Bad news. And then, and then he says there will be earthquakes and famine. People will die of famine. And today, you know that people are dying of famine. And then he says there will be persecution. Increased number of Christians will be persecuting and people will betray one another brother will betray brother and sister will betray sister and then he says those who endure to the end will be saved those who endure to the end will be saved and his message is be alert, be ready, be faithful remember to be faithful and then in chapter 25 which is our chapter he says I'm going to tell you two parables and he starts with two parables the parable of the ten virgins and basically the message is be ready Five of them are not ready when the bridegroom comes. They are not ready. They are sleepy. And then the parable of the talents is make sure you are faithful with what God has given to you. If he gave you one talent, be faithful with one talent. Just as you should be faithful with ten talents. And then our story, our text, is basically is not a parable. It's an eschatological vision. What that means is almost he's... He's telling us a real story about the end. He says, I'm going to open the windows, like pulling the curtains, and I'm going to tell you what is going to happen at the end. And this is what he tells us. And he says, this is real. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates The sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger... And you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least 
of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly, I'll tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of this, you did not do for me. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If you pick up something in this text, it's very clear that he talks about mission, action. It's about action. So I want to say that when Christ tells this story, he says, I'm going to look at your actions. When we are going to meet in the kingdom of heaven, in the last day, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at your actions. And basically, service to the needy is central to God. Throughout the Old Testament, God says, I am the God of the poor, of the needy, of the downtown, of the oppressed. So take care of those who are weak, the widows and the orphans. And throughout the Old Testament, God reminds that. In fact, there are many laws that God says to the landowners. You say, make sure when you go and you harvest, you harvest the center, believe the edges of your field for the poor. Because they will come and glean and survive. When you pick up graves and the grapes, some of them fall on the ground. Don't pick them up. Leave them for the poor, for the needy, for the widows, because they will come, and that's how they will survive. And to all of us, he says, if, if you are employing somebody, make sure that you remember, what do they pray? They pray, Father, give us our daily bread. Make sure that you pay them on time and fairly, because they depend on your payment. And then he says, make sure you do not oppress You do not take advantage of the orphans and the widows. Just because they are poor and weak and defenseless, you shouldn't take advantage of them. And that's what Jesus says. The same thing, he is echoing what the Old Testament was saying to the people. In fact, I like what Isaiah says. We are not a denomination or a church that focuses on fasting. But look what Isaiah says. He says, is is it... Is it not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your flesh and blood, from your own flesh and blood? In a way, Jesus is not telling us something new, but he reminds them. He says, you know what? It is true. It is the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. A God who loves everybody, including those who are destitute and poor and needy and oppressed. But what Jesus does is he says, you shouldn't only look for those who are flesh and blood. You know what? You are used to take care of those who are flesh and blood, those who are in your family. But Jesus says, make sure that you understand that you have a connections through faith. He says, my brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of my God, my God of my Father in heaven. Those are my brothers and sisters. 
So in a way, when you see a poor people in your neighborhood, it's easier to say, okay, here is $5, right? But Jesus says, make sure you remember the oppressed brothers and sisters that are overseas. And maybe they are oppressed by a government that you cannot change, but you can pray for them. And you can mention to your government to defend them, to ask about them. Make sure that you remember about the people who live in Cuba. This is how John says, this is how we know what love is. God calls us to love, and this is what John, one of the, the best uh, people qualified to, because he was loving Christ, and Christ loved him. And John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, when Jesus, when Jesus decided to come to us, he was equal with God. And he said, this is not something to be taken for granted. But because I am God, because I am powerful, because there's nobody else higher than me, I'm, I'm going to lower. I'm going to be like them. And not only like them, I will lower myself lower to the point that they will spit on me and beat me. And not only that, I will go even lower. I will let them crucify and kill me on the cross. And that's what John says. And he, Christ laid down his life for us. This is our Savior. This is our Master. And then, says, then John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? John says, basically, if you're, you're, you're participation, participating in God's kingdom, if you are part of His church, love is what should be true in your heart. Your heart is changed by love. And there's nothing else that we want this morning from each and everyone to say, Lord, and this is what maybe you remember Calvin, John Calvin. Calvin Conjure still has that emblem, you know. Lord, my heart I offer to you. And then it's a hand with a heart. Promptly and sincerely. This is what the Lord wants you to do. To offer your heart this morning. Promptly and sincerely. Fully. Completely. To say, Lord, I'm not my own, but I love. in my heart I want to love what you love. And then he tells this parable, right? It's the sheep and the goats. They are divided. It's not divided by nations. He doesn't say, you know, the Argentinians are here and the, the people from the Netherlands and all this. No, it's the sheep and the goats. In all nations, all nations are gathered, but they are sheep on one side and goats. And then he says, the criteria that distinguishes them is what you did for me or what you didn't do. And they are shocked because some say, when did we do these things? And, and the Lord says, whenever you did for this little brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. I identify myself. He identifies himself, Jesus, with those that are needy. And the others, the goats, say, Lord, we didn't see you. We, we might have skipped you, but we, we don't remember not seeing you. And Jesus says again, it's not about seeing me because I am identifying myself with the needy. When you didn't do anything for those that you saw and they were needy, you didn't do it for me, especially because these are my brothers and sisters. It's like saying to a police officer, why did you pass by my son or my daughter? She needed you and you passed by. It's going to a doctor and say, how can you sleep during the surgery? You were supposed to save my son and you fall asleep or you come drunk, right, to the surgery. You were supposed to care for my child. You were a child, child care or maybe a babysitter. And what did you do? Your job was to care. You were the case manager for my child. 
And that's what God says. When you treat, mistreat my people, you mistreat me. When you treat well people, you treat well me. And then you might say, well, are we saved by works? He doesn't mention much about, about salvation by faith. But that still stands, the teaching. The Bible is very clear. We are not saved by works. We are saved by faith and by grace. So that, not by good works, so that nobody could boast. And that's why we are saved. So Jesus says, there is a mission though. If you are saved by faith and by grace, you are going to be engaged in a mission. And the mission will be, your love for God is going to be seen in the love for the people. And that's your mission. And then Jesus says, you have also a message. It's interesting that, like I said, this Olivet speech on the Mount of Olive to the disciples is the last uh, teaching or talk of Jesus, discourse of Jesus and teaching to the disciples. Later, the last two verses, before he goes up to heaven, Jesus has these words for us. Again, very important. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you see what he says? And teaching them to obey everything. Teaching them to obey everything. So there is a mission that leads that is the action, but there's also a message that is basically words that we have to speak. Now, you can say, how is that possible? Just think of this. There are some people that say, the only thing that we do is mission. And we focus on mission, but we don't care so much about the message. And then you end up with what we call a social gospel. They are already interested in liberating you, changing the social structures of society. Saying, you know what, we are going to take care of of those that oppress you, of the oppressors, of the landowner, of the rich, and because they oppress you as a poor, and we are going to elevate you. But there's no message about transforming your life by the power of Jesus, because you can be still poor and in heaven, still poor and walking with Jesus. If you make a dollar a day, it doesn't mean that you, you do not need Jesus. You still need Jesus. And then there's another way, another extreme you can say, you know, we have a message but without, without a mission. And the message is that Jesus loves everybody and Jesus saves. But if I have to sacrifice for that, if it's going to cost me, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do that. And I don't know how to call it. I just call it inactive gospel. Or you can say lazy gospel. But Jesus says, no, you need to have mission and message together. You go and you love the poor. And then you also give them the message. And you teach them everything. And this is Jesus' gospel. So you may say, what about us, right? How do we do it here? And I'm so pleased. I'm so grateful for God. For everything that he did in, in so many years here. Decades and decades at Hillside. We are a church that are on mission. We love the poor in so many organizations, right? If you think of Townline area, we have the Streams of Hope, the Kids Hope, the Townline Bible Club, Sending Mentors. If you think here, we're trying to connect with this community to Zumba and to golf. And by the way, tomorrow is the last golf clinic. You know, make sure you come here. And then we have the Moms Connect and so many other. And if is coming, if gathering, right? Remember, man, just volunteer for, for ladies to serve them food this coming Friday and Saturday. But God is doing many things. But I just want, because it's fresh on my heart, to emphasize one thing that we do overseas, besides sending John and Elaine to convert atheists, right, in China. It's Cuba. You know, Cuba, we just came a few, uh, a few weeks ago from Cuba. And everything started when John, I mean, when uh, Ron, Pastor Ron, 
and Jim Huxma went in 1999, they went to Cuba. And they went in Cuba to study, what can we do as a church for the Cubans? That's wrong, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they just finished a pork roast, which was in their honor. And they are going back to the mission center. And the truth is that Ron was preaching there and they had a good time. And Jim Hugsman also had the opportunity uh, to preach. At that point in time, he was the president of a council and he was so glad to talk about. He has in his hand the Heidelberg Catechism, talking about that to the Cubans. But what happened is they said, how can we help you? And they said, the, the, the best way that you Hillside can help us is teach us how to worship like you. We like your worship. We like how many musicians you have. We like the way you do worship. Can you teach our Cuban people to worship like you? We don't know how to do that. And from that point on, we started to send musicians. Maybe you remember, Wayne Greeter uh, started to plan. And for about 17 or 18 years now, every year we have this, what we call the Week of Music Academy, sending musicians there. Just take a look at one church worshiping. This is a, is a 9 o'clock on Wednesday night. A lot of those people, maybe most of them, were students in our music academy. And now they lead worship in all of those churches in Cuba. And this year, like maybe, like unlike other years, we also we started to send people to teach English as a second language. And we, we had a greater theme, 22 people, not all from Hillside. And this is us, the team, and the students there. And I, um, I went there not to teach English this time, but to teach Alpha. But it's interesting, we had a great time there. And several of Hillside people... Ron, for example, he went six times there. And we had other people that went there to teach several times other for the first time. And we had, I think, a greatest time of building relationships. We are not only there to teach, but to love those people. To tell them there is somebody in the United States that loves them. You know what one of them said to our young people? He looked at them and said, you know what? If you wouldn't come to Cuba to teach us, to be with us, we will go nuts. I think we will just go crazy. We need you. When you come here, you give us hope. You tell us that God loves us. You love us too. And it's so awesome to see you. And to see that you come here to share the love of Christ. And our youth people, they connected. You know, and Chase is just special, right? So I had to put him there. But our young people, they connected with them. And they stay in touch with them. And they, they try to say, how can we help you improve your English? How can we help you serve the Lord better in Cuba? What can we do? What can we do to be part of your lives? To show you that we are people on the mission. That we love those that are in Cuba. That we have a passion for them. And then together we want to serve the Lord. What can we do? And the young people even played uh, uh, soccer with them. And they had a wonderful time. Wonderful time. There was one night towards the end when the young people decided to share with the Cubans all of their food because they were going home. Wynn doesn't know that, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay later after the sermon. But, um, so they took some of the food and shared with, and then, and then the next morning, one of the young people said this. For the first time in my life, I woke up this morning 
not feeling hungry. I've never had that experience before. Being with the Cubans. Unfortunately, Cuba is still a communist country. And we want uh, there one of the communist realists there. And they are still praising uh, you know, their leaders. And they are still very much in tune with, with what they do there. But it's so wonderful to see in a country like that, where they are not allowed to build or to own churches, usually. Very hard, very hard. Only to rebuild something destroyed. Look how they worship. This is another Tuesday night. Worshiping in a small house church in Cuba. The drummer, the older guy, is blind, but also he is an atheist. And he still wants to be part of leading worship in this church. didn't go there to teach English, right? I shouldn't, right? But what I did is I talked about Alpha, and they, they caught on Alpha. Three years ago or four, four, when I talked first time about Alpha, which is an outreach course, basically saying you can come and discuss the issues of the Christian faith, I thought they will never do it. But one of their pastors stood up and said, no, we need Alpha. So now they have Alpha in homes. This is one of the homes in the middle of the boondogs in Cuba. And this is in a church, one of their best buildings that they have. And they did Alpha there. They projected outside. What they do is they will usually worship during the week at night. Like 8 o'clock is still early for them. So they were eating food. And by the time the movie, the talk comes to Alpha, it's dark. So they don't need to be inside, indoor. And they had, they had a wonderful time. In this church particularly, they said, we had people. They had a doctor and a, and, and a psychologist from the city come. And they said, we've never been to a course like this where we can talk intelligently about faith and doubt and atheism and Christianity. And they were so happy. And there were other courses that went in homes. You see, they didn't have a projector, but they had just a little laptop. And everybody was launching their laptop. In different places, nine churches, they had about 15 alpha courses. And they said, we want to continue. We had a training session and about 21 churches said, we want to continue with alpha. Can we do it? And we said, wonderful, wonderful. Hillside is going to support and pray for you. Because we want you in that country where it's still communism. We want you to praise the Lord, to bring people, to still remember that you have a mission, but also you have a message that Christ loves you. And before we leave this morning, I'll just show you one more church. Those who play the flute are the first fruits. Six months earlier, they played nothing. And now they are leading worship in the church. Now, the, the Alpha theme uh, might give a report. I don't want to steal their thunder. I just wanted to, to share some of my passions this morning. I still hope that they will share that. But uh, make sure you go and talk to them. The question is for us, where would you plug in? How would you serve? How would you decide this coming week? Are you going to write that road? You don't need to be a pastor to write a card to somebody who is in need, to encourage somebody. I would say if you have the gift of encouragement, 
just let it flame it, flame it into flame. Let, let, it, let it burn in your heart. You don't need to be a pastor or a rich person to prepare a meal for somebody and to say, can I, can I drop a meal by you? I want to love you. Is it a way, what, how can I do for you? Can I babysit your kids so that you can have a night out or maybe do your hair or take care of yourself? There are so many ways in which we can share one another. And Hillside is wonderful at doing that. And I just want this morning to go encourage and to say, Lord, my heart is yours. I want to love people just as you love. We want our church to be known by, by, the, by the community as a church that loves people, welcomes people, and cares for them. How can you care for somebody in this coming week? How can you use your gift to care, to serve, and to proclaim the gospel? We can always, we are doing good, but we can always increase. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that you love us and that you call us in Christ Jesus to serve those who are needy, to serve those who are in need. And whether we have a passion for human trafficking, for, uh, for abortion, or we have a passion for defending the unborn, or for the brothers that are going further away from the church and the sisters that are sliding away from faith, or those in our family who are still prodigal sons and daughters, we ask that you will energize us. And we surrender our hearts to you because we want to love them, love the people, love one another just as you loved us. So may you transform Hillside and our hearts so that we can be not only God lovers, but also brothers and sister lovers and people. May we love the people and may they know that this is a place where your love is visible, is in action, and where the message of the gospel is being preached to each and every one because you, Jesus, saved. And we pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Would you please stand? And as we leave this place, may you remember that the grace of our God the Father and the love, the true love of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit is going with you as you go home. Amen. You may go in peace.